Let's stand. We'll have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to meet us. Father, thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning that you've given to us to come together as a church, to worship, to sing your praises, to be drawn to you. And Lord, we pray that you would just uh, meet with us in a very special way. I ask that, God, you would uh, be with the Barillas and use them, help them to uh, continue to serve you there in Cameroon faithfully. And we thank you for their faithfulness over the years. And pray that you would be with Rachel and Jocelyn as they need to nail down salvation testimonies and recoveries and different things that are there. And God, we pray that you would uh, put your hand upon every aspect of this service and bring glory and honor to your name. And we will thank and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Happy uh, Palm Sunday to all of you. This is when uh, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And Hosanna is being exclaimed. That means, oh, save. It's a declaration of adoration to our King. And a lot is going to happen between this Sunday and next Sunday, but we're going to worship our King this morning. So join together as we sing, Rejoice the Lord is King. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead 
yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. May the Lord prosper his word where to he sent it. You may be seated. Last week, a uh, bigger screen for you to look at, but right now you have no sound, which might actually be a blessing, you know, if you, uh, you can decide if it's a blessing or not when you get to the end of this service and uh, let you know. So, we are back to actually taking up an offering, which is an exciting time for us. We're looking forward to that. And uh, so, if I can have the men come forward. So, Brother Chuck's walking up on my right-hand side. If you don't already know, he's been diagnosed with uh, with cancer of the bone marrow. Am I saying that right, Brother Chuck? And uh, so uh, we're praying for Brother Chuck. That uh, So I'm going to share this news with you. You probably saw it on Facebook. Robert was, you know, they thought he had, had bone cancer along with, with his kidney cancer, but they ruled out bone cancer. He doesn't have bone cancer. So that's a direct answer to our prayers. And we're praying for Brother Chuck that uh, they say this is not curable, but only treatable. But uh, they don't know our God, so we're asking God to cure, right? Uh, in the meantime, he started already procedures, and uh, how's that going, Brother Chuck? Yeah, all right. So he's going to pray for us and ask God to bless the offering. Uh, we thank you that you love us, and uh, you bring things into our lives to cause us to come closer to you. Pray for those who are struggling with so many things today. Pray that you'll bless them, comfort them, and be with them. Thank you for the opportunity we have to worship together, to care for each other, and to fellowship. Pray that you'll bless this offering as we take it. Use it to further your ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Thank you very much, Ms. Kirsten. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and He does. Looking forward to celebrating that this week and next Sunday. Keep singing about Jesus being King. And uh, next song we'll sing together, Oh, Worship the King.
go and stand and we'll sing one more song this morning. It's a new month. We have a new hymn of the month. This is a pretty short song. It's just two stanzas or two lines. There's four verses of it. But with today being Palm Sunday and Jesus' entry and them chanting Hosanna to the King, uh, we're going to learn together. Uh, so we'll sing the first verse a couple times, then we'll sing that second verse of Hosanna to the King. There it is. That's the first verse. Uh, we'll try that again. Here we go on that verse. all the other families that are going through the, their journey with the big C, and uh, I hope that this uh, encourages you uh, as it uh, has me. We can 
are secure within His hands. He is our joy, our hope of life eternal. He is the rock, the solid rock on which we stand. And when the storms of life surround me, and
uh, today, and so that was exciting to just have all of those things just happening, and and uh, there's a couple more that still, I just talked to somebody on the way between the services, like, we want to do something like that, we're interested in it, so uh, we're excited about the possibilities of what was going to happen with this. This is uh, that young married, it goes from engaged to uh, married with young children, that's basically what it is, uh, and so uh, it's just been a really great class. We've already just about outgrown our space, at least I like to sit in a circle and have conversations, and uh, we may have to go to rows and have conversations somehow, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. Uh, it's it's going to work, so exciting times. So this is Palm Sunday, and uh, this is really, as we set up, uh, the beginning of what, what's known as Passion Week. This, uh, tonight, we're going to march ourselves through Passion Week. We just are. We're just going to march ourselves through it. I mean march, uh, because in the Scripture, it's three chapters of the book of Matthew uh, that kind of marches you through it, uh, and uh, it's really... Uh, a lot happens, and so we're going to hit the highlights tonight of Palm Sunday. Uh, next Sunday is Easter. We've got a lot of things going on. Sunday night, we'll have the Lord's Table together. And so if you're available on the Easter Sunday night, uh, then we invite you to begin now to prepare for the Lord's Table. And it'll be a great time. We're in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. And I'm going to tell you right up front that uh, right, we're going to read a passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to read to you. And uh, I'll read to you as best I can in a way that will be interesting and exciting. I'm going to read to you something uh, that I, I wish I had memorized. You know, I just don't have it memorized, and, but I want to share it with you. It's a good thing when we're dealing with this Sunday. Typically, and for me anyway, uh, we try to deal with the crucifixion of Christ on this Sunday and then the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday. Uh, and I know that the crucifixion is in between those, right? So, uh, but uh, that's, that's not even so much what we're going to look at today as just, um, you know, this concept is found here in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Father, as we look at your truth today, help us to be encouraged by it. If there's anyone here that does not know your Son as Savior, God, may today they recognize how deeply and desperately you love their souls and desire for them to spend eternity with you in this wonderful place called heaven and how you provided for them through Jesus Christ. I pray that uh, they would know that. For us as Christians, may we know the power of the cross and truly the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says here, the handwriting of the ordinances, literally, the whole of the law, when you get into the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is saying, why was the law given? Uh, and it's a good question. What's the purpose of the law because the conclusion that he's coming to is it is an impossibility for us to keep the law. We can't do it. We're sinners, and we, are, we, we violate the law by virtue of the fact that we are sinners. And then we continue to violate the law literally, uh, physically, and, and you know, actually in violation of the law. And so what's the purpose of the law if we can't keep it? And he comes to this conclusion that the purpose of the law is so that we can find out that we can't keep it. The purpose of the law is it's a schoolmaster to teach us that we can't do this on our own. 
that there's no way that we're going to start living good enough lives to get to heaven on our own. It doesn't work this way. That we needed a Savior who would step in and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So the whole purpose of the law is to prove to us that we are sinners. And then the law exists as a, as a list of ordinances which are against us as sinners. It literally condemns us. It shows us that we are guilty before a holy God. It becomes, in this passage, contrary to us. It's working against us. It declares us guilty. It is because we are breakers of God's law that we are never going to be allowed into heaven in that condition. We are violators of his law. We are sinners. He is holy. God just simply can't... You know, some people would like this. It's a nice concept. Why didn't God just let everybody go to heaven? And it is because God is God. Not because God is mean. You understand? God would have to cease to be God to simply ignore sin. God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. And so because of that, His holiness and His righteousness and His justice demands that sin be paid for. Here's the good news. Look at the last part of it. And he took it out of the way. What? All of that which was against us, all of that which was contrary to us, nailing it to his cross. This is what Jesus did when he was crucified for us. He took our guilt, he took our sin, he took our debt, and nailed it to his cross. So that now, whosoever believes on him puts their faith, their confidence, their trust in the work of Christ on the cross. Whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's the great promise. Well, someone wrote a story, and I want to read it to you, if you'll let me. And uh, just listen to it. Dwell on the truths of it. It's the truths of the scripture, just put in story facts. In that place between wakefulness and dreams, I found myself in the room. There were no distinguishing features, save for one, a wall that was covered with small index card files. They were like the ones in libraries that list titles and author and subject, etc., by order. But these files, which stretched from ceiling to floor, seemingly endless in either direction, had a very different headings. Without being told, I knew exactly where I was. This lifeless room, with its small files, was a crude catalog system for my life. Here were written the actions of my every moment, big and small, in a detail my memory couldn't match. A sense of wonder and curiosity coupled with horror stirred within me as I began randomly opening files and exploring their contents. Some brought joy and sweet memories. Others, a sense of shame and regret. So intense that I could not look over my shoulder. I, I would look over my shoulder to see if anyone was watching. A file named Friends was next to one marked Friends that I had betrayed. The titles ranged from mundane to the outright weird. Books I have read, lies I have told. Comfort I have given, jokes I have laughed at. 
Some were hilarious in their exactness. Things I've yelled at my brothers. Others I couldn't laugh at. Things I've done in anger. Things I've muttered under my breath to my parents. I never ceased to be surprised by the contents. Often, there were many more cards than I expected, sometimes fewer than I hoped. I was overwhelmed by the sheer volume of the life that I had lived. Could it be possible that I had time to write each of these thousands, even millions of cards? But each card confirmed this truth. For each was written in my own handwriting, each signed by my own signature. When I came to the file marked Lustful Thoughts, I felt a chill run through my body. I pulled the drawer out only an inch or so, not willing to test its size. I drew out a card and shuddered at the detail of its content. I felt sick to think that each moment had been recorded. An almost animal rage broke upon me. One thought dominated my mind. No one must ever see these cards. No one must ever come into this room. I have to destroy it. In an insane frenzy, I yanked out the file and side it no longer mattered. I had to empty it out and burn the cards. But as I took out one drawer to the end and began pounding it on the floor, I could not dislodge a single card. I became desperate and pulled out one card, only to find it was so strong I could not tear it. Defeated and utterly helpless, I returned the file to its slot, leaning my forehead against the wall. I let out a long, self-pitying sigh. And then I saw it. The title said, People I Have Shared the Gospel With. The handle was brighter than those around it. it seemed it hadn't been used much. I pulled on the handle, and in a small box, not more than three inches long, fell out into my hands. And then the tears came. I began to weep, sobbed so deep. The hurt started in my stomach and shook through me. I fell on my knees and cried. I cried out of shame from the overwhelming shame of it. The rows of file shelves swirled in my tear-filled eyes. No one must ever know this room. It must be locked and the key hidden. Then as I pushed away the tears, I saw him. No, please, not him, not here, anyone but him. I watched helplessly as he began to open the files and to read the cards. I couldn't bear to watch, to 
see his response. And in the moments I could bring myself to look at his face, I saw the sorrow deeper than my own. He seemed to intuitively go to the worst boxes. Why did he have to read every one? Finally, he turned and looked at me from across the room. He looked at me with pity in his eyes. I dropped my head and covered my face with my hands as I began to cry. He walked over, put his arm around me. He could have said so many things. He didn't say a word. He just cried with me. Then he got up walked back to the files and started at one end. He took out the files and one by one began to sign his name over mine on each card. No, no, I shouted, rushing to him. All I could find to say was no, no, as he pulled the card as I pulled the card from him. His name shouldn't be on these cards. But there it was. Written in red so rich, so dark, so alive. The name of Jesus covered mine. It was written in his blood. He gently took the card back, smiled, a sad smile, and began to sign the cards. I don't think I'll ever understand how he did it so quickly. But the next instant, it seemed, I heard him close the last file drawer and walk back by my side. He placed his hand on my shoulder and said, It is finished. good is our God. The Bible says, this, I, I need a tissue, Chad, I'm sorry, I do this every Sunday, you'd think I'd just take the box. <laughs> the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for he, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So here we are. We're sinners in need of a Savior. The law stands against us, proving that we are unworthy of heaven. Our lives stand as a testament against us of everything that we have done, everything we have thought, everything that we have said and when we come to Jesus and place our faith and our confidence in what He has done on the cross for us, He covers each and every thought, each and every deed, each and every word with His blood. And when God the Father and the law sweeps through our lives to look at our 
index cards of life. All are under the blood. And folks, that is why this preacher is going to go to heaven one day. Because this week that we remember as Passion Week is that week in which Jesus Christ went to the cross for one purpose, to nail our sins to the cross and make a way for us to be forgiven. That's what Jesus did. There is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to really look at today. And we're going to look at this in lightning speed. There's so much in the Bible about the blood of Jesus Christ. When you read the book of Hebrews, especially chapters 9, 10, right in there, it talks about the blood of bulls and of goats and how that they're not capable of doing what the blood of Jesus Christ is capable of doing. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is greater than all sin. Let me ask you a question. What sin is greater than the blood of Jesus Christ? Now, you know, there's only one thing that keeps us from heaven, folks, only one. And that is an unwillingness to place our faith and our trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. But it doesn't matter how bad anyone else has been. I have no idea the spiritual condition of, of wicked, vile, ungodly men of the past. I can only imagine what it was. But here's what I know. So there was a wicked, vile, ungodly man hanging on a cross by Jesus Christ one day. And he said, he looked over at Jesus and said, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus looked at that thief and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I, I've, I actually used this uh, at a funeral one time. We had... Uh, so... Many of you might remember uh, Jack and Darlene Boswell and their son, Nick, had passed away. And how old was Nick? Do you, guys, do you guys remember how old Nick was? I mean, Jack. I'm sorry, Jack. How, how old was he? Jackie. I thought about late 40s, early 50s. And his life was difficult. He had a history of drug use and just all kinds of different things. And, and uh, through all of that, he died. I mean, he, he died. But the day before he died, I had gone to visit him in the hospital. And Jack trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior in the hospital. Now, I know that I'm about to, I'm about to preach the funeral to all of his friends and family who know the life that he just lived. They know it. They know it clearly. And I'm going to stand up and say, he's in heaven. And they're going to be thinking to themselves, uh, somebody forgot to talk to the preacher. <laughs> and so at the funeral, I took us to the passage of the thief on the cross. And I said, I've got some great news for you because the day before Jack died, in the hospital, he placed his faith and confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ as the payment for his sins. And by the authority of the word of God, you know what happened to all of his sin? To all of his sin debt? It was nailed to the cross. That which was against him, 
is no longer against him. It's been put upon Jesus Christ. And now he's in heaven. That, that's hard to imagine. But literally, so the, the truth is, if in some, you know, secret bunker someplace, Adolf Hitler called upon the grace of Jesus Christ, we can look to spend eternity with him. That may be offensive to us, but the reality is we're all offensive to a holy God. Amen. That's where we stand without Jesus Christ. That's where we stand without Jesus Christ. The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. And what a wonderful testament to the blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, just reading that story just overwhelms me of because I know, I can't remember every moment of my life, but I can remember enough to know that I don't ever want you to see that room. I don't ever want my kids to see that room. I don't ever want my wife to read those files. And yet, my Savior has placed his name across so that my sin, that which was standing against me, has been nailed to his cross, taking it out of the way. I want to talk to you about the power of the blood of Jesus Christ in about ten minutes here, and then we're going to get ready to go, five minutes. Here's what the Bible says, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. We are in the body of Christ for one by through one way, that is the blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased the church with his blood. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9 says, but more than there's a whole bunch of these, so you can try to turn to them if you want to just uh, they might get them all up on the board so they've got them we'll see. But more than being now justified by His blood. And, and again, we have that word that's very important there. We see it a couple times in the Scripture. Here it is. It's the word justified. What's important about that word? It's past tense. We are now justified. Not we look to be justified. We are now justified. It's a done deal. Once we are in, the, in Christ, once we have placed our faith in His blood... Here's what his blood does for us. We are now justified, past tense, by his blood. That's a done deal. And the, the wonderful, simple definition of justified, I, I like it. Some argue against it, but I still think it works. Is to make us just as if I'd never sinned. I will stand before God justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. Because my sin has been taken out of the way Nailed to his cross. That's where my sin is. Just as if I'd never sinned. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, 